This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Jason Valdez. He's the Executive Director of the Wind River Tribal Buffalo Representative and Tribal Buffalo Program Manager for the National Wildlife Federation's Tribal Partnerships Program. He's board member of the Intertribal Buffalo Council and the Conservation Lands Foundation. He earned his undergraduate and graduate degrees in land resource sciences from Montana State University. Jason works closely with both the Eastern Shoshone and Northern Arapaho tribes on the Wind River Reservation, and he advocates nationally on policy and legislation for tribal conservation efforts. So welcome, Jason. Uh, it's good to be talking with you, and uh, how are things in Wyoming today? Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, things in Wyoming are pretty good today, a little bit windy, but... Uh Things are green, and we've had a lot of moisture lately. Oh, that's lucky. Uh, I've heard about the drought in the West, so uh, glad you're getting some rain. So uh, what's your what's your responsibility uh, with the Wind River Tribal Buffalo Initiative? Well, I've uh, been able to, fortunately, uh, build capacity uh, for both the Eastern Shoshone and the Northern Arapahoe tribes to restore buffalo or bison back to the Wind River Reservation. Uh, in my capacity with the National Wildlife Federation, we're able to uh, raise uh, financial resources to assist in tribal conservation efforts. And uh, buffalo being a very important keystone species, uh, the Federation has supported my work uh, academically uh, while I was at Montana State, but then professionally as well, moving into... Uh, uh, a program here to assist in restoring this animal to the to the landscape. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I've been working on tribal bison restoration for about uh, sixteen years. Really? So when did you first get get some uh, buffalo back on the on the reservation? Uh, in twenty sixteen, we brought the first ten animals. Ah. Uh, and you have a you have a goal of uh, how many? Well, uh, you know the Wind River Reservation has a, a, a lot of habitat that it's already important for many other species like uh, pronghorn antelope and bighorn sheep and moose and elk and deer antelope and even predators like wolves and bears. And so the uh, opportunity I think to restore this animal to the landscape is uh, pretty significant. Um, numbers of animals, you know, uh, that's uh, for the future to behold, but I would hope that uh, we can restore this animal as a wildlife species back to the Wind River Reservation. Uh, where do you bring them from? Well, our goal here is, well, our goal here is uh, to promote conservation of the genetics, and so we want to ensure that uh, we're only bringing in animals that uh, have lineage to Yellowstone because we know how important that population is genetically and we've only got less than 25,000 conservation buffalo or bison in this country. Most of them are under commercial meat production. So mm. 
here we have the opportunity, I think, to set precedent for what wild buffalo management looks like, but also uh, in terms of preservation of the genetics. Uh-huh. I think we can uh, play a, 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 an important role there. And uh, do do the do the buffalo roam the entire reservation area, or, or are they uh, just found in a particular location? Well, uh, buffalo management uh, as wildlife is, is a pretty contentious uh, issue everywhere else in the West, and so that's no different on an Indian reservation where our lands have been prioritized for cattle grazing for the last 130 years. And so uh, we've had to start small, and, and, you know, it's a piecemeal approach to getting to something larger. Uh, they do not roam uh, on the reservation. No, they're contained. Uh, within acreages, and it, it takes uh, land acquisition to acquire habitat on many of these uh, lands adjacent to and contiguous to where our existing herds are. So that takes millions of dollars to buy some of these lands back that were illegitimately acquired in the first place. So uh, it's land acquisition and it's land use change to reprioritize how lands get used uh, it's also protecting bison in our own tribal codes and regulations so that uh, we're able to uh, protect them and enforce our own tribal laws uh, to ensure that uh, our populations can grow. So uh, how many bison do you now have? We've had uh, several additions this spring to the Shoshone tribe. We've had uh-huh. 10 cattle born, and so we currently have about 75 buffalo. Uh, and the Northern Arapaho tribe, uh, they've had five new calves, bringing their total to uh, to us, 53 buffalo. Uh-huh. So there are now, uh, I think you in your biography it said you had 20,000 buffalo now on, on reservations all around the country. Um, have you been involved in, in that widespread promotion of, of, of buffalo? Uh, I've been involved in some to some extent uh, uh, as a board member of the Intertribal Buffalo Council, and so that organization is uh, has a membership of 76 tribes, and both of Eastern Shoshone and the Northern Arapaho are both member tribes of ITBC. And uh, that organization is 30 years old this year, and. Uh, yeah, so we've that organization has really assisted in getting this animal restored to uh, our buffalo people that uh, historically relied upon this animal for sustenance. And uh, are there more reservations that uh, are still lacking buffalo, and and that uh, you want to bring them to? Uh, there certainly is. You know, the number of tribes that uh, continue to join. The Intertribal Buffalo Council is rising. Uh, you know, the, the cultural and spiritual reconnection to this animal for our native tribes is very important. Uh, and for many tribes, it's also a, an economic venture. Some tribes, it's a cultural revitalization. And for some tribes, like here at Wind River, it's also ecological restoration of this keystone species. So there's a wide spectrum of capability that these tribes have in terms of management, but getting this animal back into our lives, back into our diet, uh, amongst our children, is very important. 
So how did you get started as a Buffalo Wild Advocate? Well, I grew up with a biologist father, uh, and I uh, witnessed uh, the reintroduction of the pronghorn antelope and the bighorn sheep back to the Wind River Reservation while I was a child. Uh, he worked on policy, the game code, and uh, implementing that. Uh, as a biologist, he was in a unique position as a tribal member, but also a federal employee working to uphold federal trust responsibility. Uh-huh. And uh, when I was out of high school, he and I took a trip to East Africa, and uh, one of the, the things that we witnessed was the wildebeest migration, and uh, that kind of uh, sparked something in me uh, because I realized that that incredible amount of numbers number of animals of wildebeest is just less than 5% of what the bison was here less than 200 years ago. Wow. So coming back and wanting to understand a bit more of my own history, uh, you come to understand uh, some of the uh, the history of, uh, of this country and uh, the lack of promises that uh, were kept. So, you know, buffalo is a treaty right, and it was eliminated as a tool to subjugate our people. So, uh, you know, the history of Buffalo is intricately intertwined with the history of our own people. So why were wildlife like pronghorn and buffalo and so on, why were they eliminated from the reservation land in the first place? Well, uh, our 1863 treaty was 44 million acres, and this was before the states. It would have been half of Wyoming, northern Colorado, eastern Utah. Uh, northern, uh, sorry, uh, northern Colorado, northern Utah, and eastern Idaho, and much of Yellowstone. And so only five years later, it was reduced to two million acres. And uh, so we lost uh, our way of life with the extermination of the buffalo. And, uh, you know, we're forced into imposed land use systems. We either had to become farmers or ranchers or lose our land. And most, a lot of our land was lost in, in that uh, in that era of uh, of, ter- of uh, assimilation and allotment. Oh, I see. And, and so, uh, you know, our people still hunt, tried to hunt on a limited land base, and you know, trying to hunt wildlife populations year round after our reservation was diminished by 41 million acres yeah. had a an impact on the wildlife populations. And so, in the 80s, it was proposed largely by my father, that if we, if we managed our wildlife, then someday we would have huntable populations that were better than they were before. And that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I was reading in your biography that you visited 20 lakes in the Wind River Range with your, with your dad. Uh, so you've explored the, the whole mountain range, is that right? There's over 200 lakes in the wilderness area on the oh. reservation, and I've explored many of those. Yeah, oh. my dad, when I was a child, a kid growing up, he was a biologist, and so we would uh, do pack trips back to those upper lakes to understand more about the the fisheries and the aquatic habitat and uh, potential for restoring native trout species. And uh, are the is the Wind River Range uh, repopulated with most of the animals that were originally there? Six of the seven ungulates uh, are inhabit the reservation in large populations, including you know, wolves and grizzly bears that uh, 
we protect through management plans passed in the 90s that recognize them as our relatives. So, you know, we, we, we've uh, passed plans to protect and uh, honor the traditional beliefs and values around those species. Do the wolves and the, and the grizzly bear come down onto the reservation and cause any problems? They don't come down on the reservation. They stay on the reservation. Oh, okay. So no, they don't. They, they they cause. Uh, you know that when they when you say cause problems, you know that usually pertains to livestock and human uh, things. But uh, you know the the wildlife have priority for the most part in terms of cultural and spiritual belief systems. That that supersedes the cow. Can you talk about? Uh, can you talk more about their spiritual value? You know, our people uh, understood the interconnectedness and the interrelatedness of all of these organisms that we live here with. We refer to these things as our relatives: the bears, the four-legged, the winged, the 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 feathered, the finned, the organisms that crawl above and below the ground. These things are all here together, and what we learned from these species was really how to be good stewards and be good human beings. You know, uh, trees don't eat their own fruit. Rivers don't drink their own water. Mm-hmm. You know, gratitude and compassion and actually... Uh, um, the ability to uh, give is more of a virtue of, of life, and that was that was reflected by all that's around us. We learned from the bears about important foods and medicines. We learned about from the wolves about family kinship and caring for one another. Right. A lot of our societies were matriarchal uh, after the buffalo. All this was. You know, through colonization and assimilation, these beliefs and values and ways of looking at it were, were you know, they tried to dismantle that. We're, we're doing our best to hold on to it. What do buffalo do for the land itself? As a keystone species, they are ecosystem engineers. They have unique physiological and behavioral adaptations that make them beneficial to plants and animals, birds insects so they increase plant and animal biodiversity with their presence um, so you know they they have uh, adaptations that make them uh, extremely resilient and they have seven times the hair per square inch as a cow mm. which means that they can survive a lot better the harsh winter conditions and then in the springtime they lose it and that hair becomes very important for all of those species like birds that need it for their eggs to reach the right incubation temperature or uh, the wallowing that creates these uh, depressions in the landscape that's very important for seed dispersal and water accumulation. Uh, They're primarily graminoid feeders and eat grasses and leave the forbs, which is where our biodiversity is. A lot of those forbs are historically foods and tools and medicines that uh, were utilized by our people. So, you know, buffalo are very beneficial to the landscape, and uh, we've collectively, we have collective amnesia, really, 
uh, about how important they are. And for some reason, uh, we still seem to think that cows uh, somehow replace their importance on the landscape, but they do not. Cows, uh, cows destroy riparian areas. Do bison uh, do that as well? No, they do not congregate in riparian areas. They uh, utilize the entirety of uh, their landscape available to them. They, they don't stay in one place. They rotationally graze on their own. You know, there's a, a movement in, in, in some of the regenerative ag and, uh, and some of the, the ag projects going on to mimic what the buffalo already does naturally through rotationally grazing. So uh, I think uh, you said that uh, the wildlife that are benefited uh, by the, the bison's presence on the land uh, include burrowing owls and ferruginous hawks. Are they coming back to the reservation? They come back to the landscape where buff bison are, are restored, yeah. So in several places we see... Uh, uh, number of bird species increasing, but ferruginous hawk, burrowing owl, and mountain plover, those three species are uh, highlighted as species of concern by the Fish and Wildlife Service, and um, over time those those species do increase in abundance where, where buffalo are, and other, other bird species as well. So uh, the government treats uh, bison as livestock, uh, why did why is that the case? Why did that happen? Well, I suppose that uh, you know they expected the bison to go extinct, and when the, they wrote the uh, you know the 21st century 20th century wildlife conservation model, for some reason bison wasn't included as a wildlife species alongside those other six. Mm. And they have, uh, you know, and then some were acquired and they became uh, a commodity, a commodity, and uh, became a ranched animal and made it into uh, commercialized food production. So, uh, you know, there's, it, it's a unique uh, situation that's historical. Um, and and it's there's a lot of challenges as to how do we restore this animal to the landscape uh, and balance the needs and interests of now the, the the bison ranchers and the bison producers who also have a bottom line, but the the other spectrum where we have very few places where wild buffalo exist, we have to go to parks and refuges and private ranches to even see them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, where is the opportunity to restore this animal to its rightful place on the landscape without it being market-driven? And so I think that, you know, there's there's a wide spectrum of interests around this species, this, this animal, and we have to find some, some commonality in those interests uh, because we all... I think believe I think we all want to see the animal restored to the landscape, but there's uh, various paradigms that move and, and challenge and interact uh, with how we do that. Well, 
are there some prospects for changing the the way bison are categorized? And does it have to be done at the yeah. state level or by Fish and Wildlife or who? It's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, conversation. The uh, you know, Buffalo Field Campaign and and some advocates uh, want to uh, you know make it a threatened or endangered species because of the genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the USDA and uh, Food Safety Inspection Service and uh, really has some of the say of, uh, about the bison industry, and, and some proponents want to make it an amenable species, uh, making it easier to uh, get bison meat into the food production. Uh, you know, then there's organizations like ITBC and other conservation groups that you know we want to see the species. Uh, protected and and managed for conservation of the bison genome. That you know, we know that Yellowstone genetics are are uh, very important for the overall genome of the species. And so, uh, again, it's a spectrum of interests that have some influence and say on um, on their status. There's also anti-bison legislation, like in Montana, where they want to classify them as livestock so that they remain under the auspices of the livestock industry, the stock growers and the farm bureaus, and and uh, the farming and ranching community. Buffalo advocates that are in conservation, you know, there's a, there's a different perspective. We want to see thousands of buffalo on hundreds of thousands of acres. That's a change in paradigm that many people are unwilling to uh, uh, look at. And so, again, how do we balance all of these interests around this very special animal? Uh, What we do here at Wind River may set precedent in in what some of that looks like. I don't know. Uh, The uh, potential is there, and I think we have some federal support. We've got tribal leadership support around restoration in this way. And so I think we have to continue with the momentum we have to to do the best we can for the buffalo. Do you have some congressional support for doing that? Through Intertribal Buffalo Council, we've been working on the Indian Buffalo Management Act, and uh, that would approve appropriations uh, for federal support for tribal buffalo restoration management. And uh, so we've we've been able to uh, push that bill a bit through the to the House side, Don Young championed that bill, and we're, we're working to get it through the, the Senate as is, and um, hopefully get that approved with bipartisan support. I think we had a lot of support on both sides of the aisle on the, on the House side, and I think we do on the Senate as well. Oh, that sounds good. <clears throat> so uh, what other wildlife uh, are you working on recovering uh, Sage-grass habitat has been an issue of concern. Uh, are you involved in restoring habitat for sage-grass? If we restore buffalo habitat, we're restoring habitat for those other species as well. And again, like it's uh, it's all interconnected. Uh, we don't try to silo one species from another when when we're thinking uh, uh, as holistically as we can. So you know, bringing buffalo bison back to the landscape uh, will will benefit many other species, including sage grouse. And uh, you you label that restoring a wildlife economy. Is that right? 
Yeah, I, I say that because um, prior to European arrival, settlers and colonizers that came pioneers uh, before you know farming and ranching farming and ranching was encouraged and our reservation was opened up for it. Our people were dependent on the health. Uh, and wealth of the biodiversity of plants and animals. We utilized a large territory recognized in our original 1863 treaty that was 44 million acres because we utilized a large landscape for various resources. We would have to, we would go high elevation at some times of the year. We would go out into the plains for other times of the year, uh, over the mountain for salmon and trading other times of the year. And we would we would meet with uh, other tribes in the southwest part of uh, our territory at other times. We lived cyclically by the seasons, and that way of life uh, was was dismantled with the reservation era. And so, uh, as we restore a wildlife economy today, contemporarily, it's it's not so much economic based as it is providing sustenance uh, for our people, for our families. We still do that through hunting in the fall, fishing in the winter, uh, gathering in the spring, and ceremonies in the summer. This cyclical way of living uh, is is uh, something that we still hold very close. It's ceremonially based. And so bringing bison back into our diet, into our lives, will improve and, and help us heal that way of life, that that, uh, that way of uh, living and thinking somewhat cyclically. That That's dismantling some of these colonial paradigms that were imposed on us. It's decolonizing our way of being, decolonizing the way we use the land, and it's cultural revitalization. Your biography indicates uh, that you're also engaged in some other uh, types of projects or efforts. Uh, uh, what what are what are what are the most important of those uh, efforts? I would say the most important effort that uh, we can do is to uh, work to educate and empower our children. Mm-hmm. So uh, ensuring that our young people have uh, a relationship with buffalo again whether that's uh, coming out and learning about it, just seeing them or picking up a piece of hair or carving a horn spoon. There are many ways to connect our young people with this animal uh, culturally, spiritually, educationally, academically, uh, nutritionally. So uh, there are a multitude of ways that we have uh, to get this animal back into our lives again, and that's going to only increase now that we have access to our own population uh, for for those needs that, that we have. And uh, I would say that, you know, every we've had over 800 kids, tribal, tribal youth, out for the la- in the last two months to see these buffalo. And uh, it's been something uh, really special to see uh, as you uh, witness those children. All right. Those kids have that connection. Do you have a formal leadership development program? Uh, there will be. Uh, this is a you know tribal buffalo initiative is a, a brand new uh, organization that we can use to uh, help bring money to reacquire land. Uh, 
and be uh, the organization that helps to facilitate our reconnection uh, of our youth and community to Buffalo. So, you know, I'm working to raise uh, millions of dollars to, to re- reacquire lands. It's, it's land rematriation with Buffalo Restoration, which is a form of reconciliation people can literally buy into. They want to help our tribes. They want to see us help uh, restore our culture. They can help us buy some of this land back that was illegitimately acquired during the General Allotment Act that opened our reservations up for homesteading. Well, Jason, I think we're we're out of time, uh, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. I wish you well. I uh, uh, I never got onto the reservation, but I'd love to love to get out there sometime and see it. So, thank you very much for talking with us today. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time, Jay. Our guest today has been Jason Baldez, Executive Director of the Wind River Tribal Buffalo Initiative, Tribal Buffalo Program Manager for the National Wildlife Federation's Tribal Partnerships Program. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.